Hello and welcome to RPO Extra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra podcast, with a unique insight into the workings of one of the most accomplished orchestras in the world. It's nice to be with you again. Although its more public performance activities continue to be severely affected by the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic, the RPO has still been able to operate under the guise of its outreach and educational work. I've been talking to Ruth Curry, who's the Director of Community and Education for the RPO, via its programme called Resound. As she told me, through its workshops, even online, there are some great opportunities for its participants. So they get to play with a full symphony orchestra, which is a pretty cool toy if you're a teenager. Wow. Yeah. Tash Zelazinski is one of the Resound workshop leaders. She's been telling me about the reaction of her students who've been able to play their part in a wider group. One of our participants, Omo, kept talking about how Zoom has been a kind of lifeline for him, just being able to be in touch with people every day over the past five months. But what of the orchestra itself? In a major conversation for RPO Extra, I've been talking to Managing Director James Williams about the present, as well as the future, for the organisation and its role in society, as well as the arts. We're really looking forward to being fleet of foot and, and being able to respond to those challenges over the coming months and to be able to support uh, society as it begins to rebuild post-COVID-19. We have a lot coming up for you in the next 25 minutes or so, so make yourself comfortable and let's get going. Plenty of businesses reach out to their local communities, adding something through what's called corporate social responsibility. When it comes to the arts, the RPO is no different. But with the onset of COVID-19, the orchestra found its regular performance activities curtailed almost overnight. Despite that, though, through its outreach and education programme called Resound, it's still been able to bring music making to people who might not otherwise have had the chance to do so. It's been using technology which has really come into its own since the lockdown began and forcing the RPO team to learn a few lessons of their own into the bargain. But what is Resound? Ruth Curry, the Director of Community and Education at the RPO, has been telling me. The RPO Resound programme is all about taking the orchestra off the stage performance platform and into the communities around where we are performing, which is often our residencies around the UK or our international programmes. So for all of those people who might not necessarily know about the orchestral residency in their hometown or um, think that buying a ticket to a concert is something that's relevant to them, we actually bring the experience into the heart of their communities, whether that's the local school or the local stroke club or even the local prison. And we make music um, more accessible to people who wouldn't necessarily choose that option to start off with. Talk to me about the emotions that people go through when they're in either the presence of musicians, be it online or not, and, and the process of of making music, of participation in music. What, in your experience, does it do to people? It can have a really strong transformative effect on some of our participants. I'm just thinking about our stroke programme in particular, where we've blended music making with genuine rehabilitation goals and working alongside the clinical partners. The, the patients have gone on this journey, which is definitely about fulfilling their clinical goals, but it's about music making with a community of other people who are in the same situation as them. And you hear incredible stories from both the patients and the carers about how this has motivated them, how this has changed them, how this has actually given them confidence to go out for a, for a meal in a restaurant with their partner, which sounds like something really mundane and ordinary, but for the stroke patient, it's really a massive step on their journey to recovery. 
Um, it can be a tool for rehabilitation. We do some programs in, in prisons with um, offenders who are writing lullabies for their children in partnership with a great charity called Irene Taylor Trust. And they are exploring the kind of um, family bonds that they haven't had a chance to reflect and express. And they can then record this with musicians and the orchestra for the, the children in their life. I mean, that's an incredible sort of catharsis of emotions and ability to bring that as a package to your family that's a huge and valuable life moment for both the parent and child because of the way in which the orchestra hasn't been able to gather i suppose from your point of view as director of community and education that work that you still have been able to do has become very very important not only to the consumers of it but to the practitioners of it too yeah, there's every every little piece of work we can offer our musicians at this point is really, really crucial. Um, but it's also about trying to find new ways of working in a really unusual situation. And we'd really have to be realistic that this may go on for quite a long time. So we're going to have to have a blended model of some online programs and some live practical delivery. So we've been really piloting models to see what does and doesn't work over the summer. So, Ruth, when we're talking about this outreach work that you are doing through RPO Resound, through Strugstra, clearly you're not going to have a full-blown orchestra in the room. What scale of music are we talking about? Is it just one instrumentalist from the RPO who's, who's making music with a group of people? No, we'll always, have to, uh, we'll always aim to have an ensemble experience in, in almost all of our RPO Resound projects. So usually you'll see a minimum of three musicians in a in a session um, but that can range from three to five to eight i mean it really depends on the project and um, how long we're going um to that location for but also we do do full symphonic um educational experiences uh, a program of work with young producers where young people are able to create program produce present technically produce a whole rpo symphonic concert so they get to play with a full symphony orchestra which is a pretty cool toy if you're a teenager wow yeah yeah so we do do things on all scales um, but generally we do try and stick to as i say a, a minimum of three players because you get that ensemble experience um, and we are you know we're an orchestra we're about playing together and the community that that creates that's ruth curry and there's more from her in a moment Natasha Zelazinski is not only a Resound workshop leader, she's a composer in her own right. With just a few minutes to go before the start of a remotely delivered workshop supporting a group of visually impaired participants, Tash told me that despite everyone having different locations, everybody had been able to play their own part in full. Yeah, definitely. And with this particular kind of project, um, we're, we're trying to get everyone to not only kind of participate by like copying the sound that we're making, but to kind of have their own ideas, to offer up their own sound. And I guess one thing I've, I've really noticed is that with these kind of platforms, a lot of the times with something like Zoom, only one person can really be heard at a time. So that means that when you want to offer an idea up of something you've just kind of thought of, it, you have to do it in quite, quite an exposing way. You kind of have to solo. <laughs> um, so there's been, kind of, there's been a lot of bravery in the, in the kind of Zoom room with people just really going for it and kind of singing an idea to someone or um, sharing a thought or playing something on an instrument that maybe they're kind of quite new at or less experienced at. I guess that also requires a certain amount, not only of bravery, but trust. And when you are doing things in a, a, as remote a way as you are, you have to work very quickly, I'm guessing, to establish that trust so that everybody does participate and nobody mm. feels sort of isolated. 
yeah, I think that's really true. I, I don't know how it's exactly happened um, that it's worked out. It does feel like there's a really high amount of trust in the group. And I think we have to work really hard because we don't have those kind of small cues we can pick up on in real life, which let us know, you know, that it's okay and we're here together and kind of ways we communicate non-verbally. But in a way, there's there's quite a strong core membership in the group from the RSBC. And um, there, there are a couple of key characters who are really kind of helping shepherd the group and create a sense of like comfort mm-hmm. within the participants. And then the players themselves are also just so generous and warm and ready to listen and kind of meet the, the kids where they are. So I think there's been a lot of um, kind of bravery and trust, but also a kind of willingness to just kind of reach out to, to the void and kind of find a way to communicate. Could you, in fact, use them as a step forward to reach more people, perhaps not in a particular geographic location, but anybody who wanted to participate? I mean, you could make this national, dare I say it, you could make it international. Yeah, I think it's been kind of discussed within the group as well, because one of the songs we're writing is about some of that kind of sense of isolation and what we've been able to find now being back together. So one of the, the song titles is We're Back Together. One of our participants, Omo, kept talking about how Zoom has been a kind of lifeline for him, just being able to be in touch with people every day over the past five months. And um, we've also reached a few participants who are not in London or because of um, their kind of visual impairment might not have been able to join the project. Mm -hmm. So that's been really exciting. And yeah, possibly that could allow us to work with people who normally wouldn't be able to access um, a project that's in London five days in a row for a certain amount of time. Could this now be the new normal? For me, um, I think there's nothing like having people in a room <laughs> when you're making music. Um, so, yeah, I think there's really exciting things we can take forward from this in terms of being able to kind of reach and access people, being able to kind of be flexible and responsive. But also, I think there's just the kind of pure joy of sound as an acoustic phenomenon in a room when it kind of touches your ears and like the sound waves hit your body. There's nothing like that. <laughs> Yeah, hopefully we'll kind of keep learning to swim in this in this kind of new way, but also be able to kind of find um, a way of kind of reaching back to what we had and, and finding then something new going forwards. It's a temporary new normal, but I'm hoping that we kind of keep pushing forward and find our way to something that's better. <laughs> Natasha Zelazinski. Back to Ruth Curry before we change the subject. They say that every day is a learning day, so with having to adapt their normal activities to accommodate remote learning, does she think that this kind of work for RPO musicians and educators keeps them on their toes? It certainly does. There are a lot of challenges within how we set up the room and also, um, yes, social distancing is absolutely being adhered to. Our COVID risk assessments are very thorough. All of the floor spaces are spiked out. But what you have to think about is the camera angle is actually quite limited. Mm. Um, you, you can only get a certain section of the room within that shot. And normally you'd have sort of 10 people crammed in that shot, but you've only got three because of the social distancing. So we've had to do some clever things with um, a roaming cameraman walking between socially distanced marked lines um, and having, we've got a workshop leader in the same room, but they're using a different device so that through the kind of curation of the online host, you can change the view the users see. We've actually got quite a nice visual experience going on there. 
But as you say, it's not without challenges because you can only have a small number of people genuinely in your shop. So you're always quite restricted on the numbers you can work with. And that means that also you've had to learn all kinds of new technical techniques with which to bring that experience to people in an online environment. Yeah, it took us about a month to brainstorm technical aspects of this and how we could do that within the resources that we already had in the orchestra. Because obviously at the moment we don't have huge amounts of money to suddenly buy a 20 channel mixing desk and the highest spec HD camera. So we've been massively adaptable and worked with the gear that we've got um, and had to learn a whole, whole new you know, trades of music production and online kind of engineering of sound and video together. So it's been really an amazing learning curve. Every day is a learning day. Every day is a learning day. Ruth, lovely to talk to you. Good luck for all the work that you're going to continue to do through 2020 and beyond. Thank you. That's Ruth Curry. You can find out a little more about Resound by going to the RPO website. By anybody's reckoning, it's been a dreadful time for the arts since the early part of 2020. Challenged by the nationwide closure of performance spaces and public venues, many performers have had to adapt to weather the storm. The Royal Philharmonic Orchestra has done precisely that. And a short while ago, I talked to Managing Director James Williams. We talked about the current state of the orchestra, present and future plans, and also the importance of support, financial and otherwise. To begin with, though, I asked James for his view of the arts overall in this unprecedented year. Well, look, John, um, coronavirus has caused what I think is probably the greatest crisis in the entire performing arts and culture sector that we've seen in a generation, most definitely. Um, we were the first sector uh, to close back on the 16th of March. And indeed, it, it very much looks likely now that we will be the last sector fully to, to, to reopen. Um, the, the big challenge, I think, for most cultural organisations in this country, whether you're a venue or a performing arts organisation or indeed a museum or gallery, is that is that many uh, of these organizations simply do not receive the level of public support and subsidy that many of our European colleagues enjoy. And so for an organization such as the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, we only receive 10% of our annual turnover from Arts Council England, which means we're reliant on raising 90% of our income, which is to the tune of about £9 million a year, from what we call earned income. And that's a combination of things like ticket sales, commercial activities such as recording film scores and touring, um, and of course philanthropy. Um, and of course what we we've seen as a result of COVID-19 is that is most of that earned income opportunity simply fall away. And that's the same for, for us as it is for many venues who rely on restaurants and hiring out venues for conferences and that, and that sort of thing. So it's a massive, massive gap in the balance sheets now of many cultural organisations. Um, what we've seen from government um, is actually some very swift action that they took at the very beginning um, across all businesses. Um, and so things like the furlough scheme, the self self-employment uh, scheme um, uh, has benefited uh, both the, the, the RPO staff and also some of our freelance musicians. But there's always holes in these schemes, as indeed um, it's been well, well publicised. And so a number of our musicians, for example, are not eligible for the self-employment income support scheme. So we've had to do quite a lot of juggling here at the RPO about trying to support those uh, uh, individuals um, who are not uh, actually eligible to receive any, any state support. Um, but there's been some 
good news as well uh, from, from from government as well as they, they, those schemes. We have heard about the £1.57 billion that's been announced um, to support the culture sector over the coming uh, six months between October and March 2021. Um, but, but I think there's a general feeling within our sector that this is actually too little too late. Um, and I think we've all seen over the past few weeks um, so many arts organisations, particularly venue-based ones actually, um, announcing very significant uh, numbers of redundancies and, 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 and job cuts because um, they simply have to take decisions now as, 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 as organisations um, in order to protect their own um, livelihoods and, and, and their future resilience as organisations. How do you manage an orchestra when that kind of thing can suddenly drop into your lap and when we still don't know what the likely period for COVID-19's um, effects on the whole economy and, of course, the arts community is just so unclear? Well, I think it's about balancing risk, John. We have now cancelled all of our foreign touring for the remainder of 2020, primarily for exactly that reason, that you know the orchestra could end up being stuck in a particular country, not allowed out, or indeed not allowed back in um, uh, to, to, to the UK. And of course, there, there are not only cost implications attached to that, but of course, um, every member of the orchestra and indeed staff um, has, has families and, and lives of their own. And, and we need to be very mindful of, of, of all of that. So we're in for a very rough few months. And my sense is the tale of this could go on for several years um, for business and, and for arts organisations. So it's a marathon, not a sprint. What is the current state of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra? Well, um, we, we've been very fortunate um, over a number of years to build up uh, some reserves uh, for the organisations, which are funds that we use uh, for rainy days and for investment. Um, and therefore, we have been able to draw down on those reserves to help support our musicians and our staff through these very difficult few months of closure um, that the organisation has, 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 has faced. Um, we've also been um, very proactive at accessing um, the, the the government schemes, such as the furlough scheme and the self-employment schemes, um, we are we will be applying as an organisation to the uh, Arts Council's cu uh, Cultural um, uh, Recovery Fund, um, which will allow us, hopefully, if we are successful over the coming months, to, to partially reopen the orchestra and to take advantage of the government's recent announcement of of enabling arts organisations and indoor uh, theatres um, and concert halls to reopen and so to get live music back on the stage. Um, and so it's this very careful balancing game that we, we now have to play, which is about elongating what reserves we do now have left as an organisation, um, ensuring that we can do all we can to, pro to, to protect our musicians and protect our staff, and also to serve the public uh, and, and to ensure that, that we can continue to put live music out there into communities at a time when that is most needed. And with that in mind, the RPO has hardly rested on its laurels look online with uh, initiatives like RPO at Home, this podcast, RPO Extra, online musical card games and a whole host of other things. Just how much support in return has there been? Well, it's been wonderful, John, to see the orchestra's um, contribution be so well received by people, not only in this country, but around the world and um, through our online platform, RPO at Home. And you're absolutely right. Within a very short period of time, back in March, it became very clear that, that online would be the new shop window of the orchestra, certainly for the short term. And of course, now it's turning into the medium term. What we have seen is that levels of engagement, digital engagement with those 
those platforms that uh, RPO at home have absolutely rocketed. And we've had nearly a 600% increase in people engaging on a daily basis um, with our um, uh, digital offerings, um, which has ranged from everything from small-scale small little interviews right through to uh, large-scale large performance projects. Um, we've seen um, people listening to more orchestral music, and we've been doing some independent polls, really asking the British public about their listening habits um, across lockdown period. And again, orchestral music has shown the largest increase of any musical genre of people wanting to expand their musical horizons. And that's really reflected even in things like the RPO's uh, Spotify following uh, on the online streaming service Spotify. We have over 4.2 million people a month listening to the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra on Spotify. So amongst um, all the sort of depressing news about arts and culture being being silenced across these past few months, what we have seen is almost a renaissance really around people really wanting to engage directly with our musicians who have very much been fronting a lot of our digital content. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to see the personality of those musicians uh, coming to the fore. What about plans in the pipeline, James? I mean, you were planning to move out of your current premises this year, weren't you? Or at least start the process. Yes, so the, the, the orchestra announced at the end of last year a new partnership uh, with the developer Quintain to move its administrative base uh, to uh, the, the London borough of Brent and to Wembley, Wembley Park. Um, and inevitably, that, that has been uh, temporarily put on hold. Um, but we are working closely with our partners there um, to create a new timetable um, to ensure that, that we can fulfil that um, uh, uh, move. Um, we are awaiting news, of course, of um, the outcome of the Cultural Recovery Fund application that not only the orchestra, but many of our partners, theatre partners and concert hall partners around the country are putting into that fund, which I think will then be able to shape what the next six months of, of, of live performance activity may look like. Um, but the key words I think about all of this are going to be about flexibility and adaptability. Um, we do have a really ambitious programme of activity planned in 2021-2022 season, um, which will be the RPO 75th anniversary season. We, of course, have our new music director, Vasily Petrenko, starting in that year. And we'll be announcing those plans over the coming six to eight months. We're really looking forward to being fleet of foot and, and being able to respond to those challenges over the coming months and to be able to support uh, society as it begins to rebuild post-COVID-19. James, like everybody else at the RPO, you are a musician as well as uh, the senior figure uh, within the RPO. You must be praying that you can get back to the process of music making sooner rather than later. Absolutely, John. I mean, I, like many of our audiences, musicians, uh, staff, have simply just missed the live concert experience. Um, that is what we as an organisation, it's our raison d'etre, that is what we want to be doing uh, day in, day out, um, and giving people pleasure through uh, live performance. So. I hope every day that, that we're one day closer to being able to, to, to achieve that um, with the full orchestra. In the meantime, we will look at how we can get live performance back, even if it's on a small scale, both in London and outside London. Um, and that's going to be the big priority over, over the autumn, but within the parameters of what we're able to do with the COVID-19 secure restrictions that we have to work within. It's good to talk to you, James. I know you've got a very, very busy uh, future ahead of you, and that means certainly the short, possibly the medium, and even the long term. Do come on the RPO Extra podcast again before very much longer. And in the meantime, stay safe. 
Thank you, John. That's the Managing Director of the RPO, James Williams. That's it for this edition of RPO Extra, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra podcast. My thanks to Ruth Curry, Natasha Zelazinski and James Williams for their contributions. For more information about the work of the RPO, both on and off stage, just go to the website www.rpo.co.uk. And don't forget, you can also join in with a host of activities currently being put out by members of the orchestra under that umbrella title of RPO at Home on all the major social media platforms. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening. Thank you.